Good morning. Good morning online as well in 101, 102. Hope you're having a great morning. What a beautiful morning. Is it not? Um, I'll, I'll admit I was rather excited for outdoor this morning because it was absolutely gorgeous out there. So great time. I'm glad you're here this morning. Um, we're in a series, King Jesus, and we're asking this question, how does Jesus become king? And, and we've said the reason that it's so important is because those are the steps that we follow on this path as Jesus becomes king as his followers. Um, you might remember this last year, I think it was during 2020 when everything else fell apart, um, there was a sinkhole in the middle of Shiloh Road right across from Robert E. Lee at the time, I guess Legacy High School now, um, there was a sinkhole. It just caved in, the concrete in the road caved in where it could just swallow a car. Right, and you've seen those before, right? A sinkhole where you'll look on the news and there's a car sitting inside this sinkhole and people are badly hurt because they fell into it. And what's interesting is you watch the news stories on those occasions, they'll say, just suddenly the ground opened up and the cement caved in and collapsed. And you think about it, that didn't just happen. That's been happening for a long, long time. The ground underneath is eroding to the point that you get a heavy rain and it puts so much weight and pressure on the concrete that it finally collapses. There was something there below the surface that no one could see and no one knew about but was going to have a significant outcome on the life of that concrete. And possibly a significant outcome on the life of someone driving across that concrete. Isn't it amazing how things can happen below the surface that you never see until it's too late? Things can happen that no one knows about, no one sees, no one detects, until it's too late. My guess is you've had moments like that in your life. Where there was some stuff going on below the surface that you never knew about, that you never saw, until it was too late. Maybe it was an affair. Maybe you're stepping into an addiction. Maybe it was a, a problem managing money or taking money. Maybe, maybe it was abuse. Maybe it was anger. But eventually, something that was happening below the surface that no one could see, that no one knew about, finally collapsed under the pressure. My guess is you've been there. But what I know is you at least know someone who has been there. 
And so in this morning, as we, we deal with this question, how does Jesus become king, I want to kind of get below the surface. I want to look at what's going on underneath in these stories. So we're going to start in Mark 14. It says this, Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or people may riot. Just real quickly, um, there are hundreds of thousands of people coming to Jerusalem for Passover. Right? The, the city is full, and there were riots throughout the city during a Passover festival. Going on, verse 3. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. How would you like to have that name? Hi, I'm Simon. I'm a leper. This is my house, the house of Simon the leper. But my guess is with all of these people here eating at his table, Simon the leper is no longer a leper. My guess is that Simon has been healed. My other guess is that Jesus is probably the one that healed him. Yet even though he's healed, he's still known as Simon the leper. How would you like to constantly be known as what you used to be? How would you like to always be known as what you did in the past? The big mistake. It's walking around with the scarlet letter. And my guess is there are some of you here that live that every day. The divorced one. The addicted one. But for Simon, it's this disease that defined him. And it says a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him So there's three things I want you to see and kind of have in the background of your mind as we work through this this morning. First of all, it's Passover and it's also the Feast of Unleavened Bread. 
We'll talk a lot about this one. We don't talk a whole lot about this one, but both are really significant in the context of this story. Second is this is what we called a few weeks ago a Mark and Sandwich. And if you don't remember going, Mark, a Mark and Sandwich is where these two stories are combined. It'll begin with story A as an introduction to story A, and then it'll have the entire story for story B, and then it'll come back to story A for the conclusion. And so here's what happens. They're scheming against Jesus, and Judas betrays Jesus. So it's all about betrayal. And then here in the middle, Jesus is anointed. And the reason this is significant, remember, the reason this is significant is because our understanding of the story is impacted by the fact that they're told together. So Jesus um, talks about cursing a fig tree, and then they see the fig tree But here in the middle, Jesus curses the temple. And the stories were tied together, and them being tied together affected the meaning. And and so that's happening again right here. They're scheming against Jesus. Judas is going to betray Jesus. But here in the middle, Jesus is anointed. And then the third thing is contrasting stories. If you remember back a couple weeks ago, we talked about the contrasting story. Of the long flowing robes of the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And then this poor widow who throws in these two copper coins. These stark contrasts in stories. And again, we're going to see those contrasts unfold here. So I'm going to start kind of in the middle of that Markin sandwich with Jesus being anointed. In verse 4, it says this. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Their concern is not the poor. As they rebuked this woman, their greatest concern is not, oh, there are poor and oppressed people in this world that don't have something to eat. Right? Their motives, what's happening beneath the surface, is not what it appears to be. There, there's something below the surface that no one can see but that's coming out and what they do. Because what this woman does, and, and one of the other gospel tells us that this is Mary, sister of Martha, brother is Lazarus. It was Mary who sat at Jesus' feet while Martha was making preparations. So it's the same Mary who's breaking this jar of expensive perfume and pouring it over Jesus. The same one who was worshiping him and learning from him there is worshiping and learning from him now. And she breaks this expensive jar and pours it over his head. And the text says it is an extravagant gift because of the cost. The cost of this was more than a year's wages. I mean, can you imagine working for something all year, saving up all your money 
to purchase it and then getting rid of it. We don't know how she acquired it, but she has it. And she could have sold it. She could have made a lot of money for herself. Or if you're super spiritual and religious like us, you could have sold it and given it. And so they rebuke her. Because this extravagant gift is something they don't understand. Worship is not supposed to make sense. There are two gifts that are given in the name of God here at the end of Mark. That are extravagant acts of worship. The first, this widow with her two copper coins. Throws them in the treasury. Jesus says, look at this gift. She's given more than everyone else here. It was too small. It couldn't buy a fraction of the perfume. Yet it was considered significant by Jesus. And then you have this extravagant gift that cost more than a year's wages and it's broken and poured out and they say it's wasted. The, the scenes don't make sense if your understanding of worship and giving is simply an intrinsic value. There, there was something different going on beneath the surface in her life than in the lives of the Pharisees and the religious leaders and Judas. There was something else significant happening beneath the surface that no one else could see. It would have a significant impact on her. And Jesus, regardless of the actual value, two copper coins, a year's worth of wages, Jesus says this, these events are significant. These are extravagant gifts. These gifts are beautiful. But see, our, our lives are not supposed to make sense. Our, our lives, our worship was never supposed to make sense to people who are watching from the outside. Because Jesus comes onto the scene and he flips the script. Everything that you believed was true in the world about power and money and prestige and fame, all of that, Jesus says, no, that's not how the world actually works. I know you think it does, but that's not how it works. And Jesus flips the script. Because the world tells us sex is a basic need. It's a compulsion you cannot control. It tells us greed is good. It's necessary for survival. Says money is the ultimate measure of success. Meet first, get revenge, cut corners, finders keepers. But Jesus turns that entire world upside down. And it's something that does not make sense for those who simply watch from the outside looking in. Because when you live contrary to the norm, it's not going to make sense. 
It's not going to make sense if you follow Jesus. And that's okay. They look at this gift that she offers. Because here's the problem. If she had just opened the cap and poured a little, I'm guessing it's not a problem. But she breaks the bottle. And she pours it all out. She gets rid of all of it. Then he says this, leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me. She has done a beautiful thing. But that beautiful thing she did does not happen if there is not something else significant going on beneath the surface that you cannot see. There was something stirring in her heart. There, there was something happening within her spirit that if she does not have going on, she does not give this extravagant gift. And I think one of the things that we see in here is what is broken and poured out blesses the world. Because this perfume that's broken and poured out is a blessing that Jesus said will be remembered from now on. Anyone talks about the gospel. Jesus is going to go to a cross and be broken and poured out. And it's going to bless the world. Understand this. When you give significantly of yourself to this world, when you allow yourself to be broken and poured out, for the good of other people out of a love for Jesus Christ, it will bless this world. In fact, it's the only thing that will. It's beauty like this gift that will save the world. It's the beauty of this gift that Christ gives that brings salvation. And you and I are called to be His hands and feet to be his disciples, to be a light that points back to him. What is broken and poured out blesses the world. Now, if you remember, there's this sandwich. They're scheming against Jesus. Judas betrays Jesus, and then Jesus is anointed here in the middle. And so what's happening here, understand, is happening beneath the surface. It's happening behind the scenes. And if you don't understand the stories as a whole, you miss the significance of the story. It's not just two separate accounts. It's to be understood as a whole. And the problem here is the same problem we've been seeing pop up time and time again from chapter 11 on. That things don't 
always look to be what they truly are. Things look a certain way, yet don't live up to what they're supposed to be. The temple is supposed to be this place that is a light to the nations to bring hope and healing to this world. And that was Isaiah's vision. That this river would flow out of the temple and bring healing to the nations. And the temple has failed up to live up or failed to live up to that call. You have the religious leaders in their long flowing robes who look every part of the spiritual religious people of God. They fail to live up to the call. And you have this poor widow who doesn't look the part, who somehow reflects. And you have this beautiful, crazy paradox happening in Mark through these contrasting stories that he keeps coming back to over and over again. Is the people who look like the people of God don't reflect God. But the people who don't look like the people of God somehow beautifully reflect God. Because what's on the surface can be deceiving. The road can look really stable. But for years, the foundation could have been eroded. Until one day, pressure on top breaks through. And when it breaks through, what was underneath is finally revealed. And you can see it as it truly is. Now, if you remember, it's Passover. And it's also the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so they're going to celebrate with Jesus the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell, tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips the bread into the bowl Passover was a time of celebration. God originally gave them this time to celebrate and commemorate their freedom from slavery. They were slaves in Egypt, and God is going to bring them out. And before he does that, he says, you're going to eat this meal. You're going to sacrifice this unblemished lamb. You as a family are going to eat it. You're also going to eat bread that does not have leaven in it. Because there was this connection in understanding and, and conception of leaven equals sin. 
And so you're going to eat this bread that does not have leaven. And you're going to do so with your sandals on your feet and your cloak tucked into your belt. And you're going to eat it in haste. Basically, he says, I want you to be really, really alert and ready to go because your taskmaster, your slave drivers are watching over you and they have you in bondage. And when you get the key from me, when you get the sign from me, then you're going to go and you're going to flee from your slave master. And I wonder if there's supposed to be some irony here. Because they're sitting, reclining around the table. They're relaxing in a meal that was originally intended to be eaten while you were alert, standing, and paying attention. And now they're eating this meal years later, thinking about how good things are, reclining at a table, relaxing. And I wonder... If things had gotten so good. Now understand, they're still in new bondage. I mean, it's, but they're not, they don't have slave drivers. And we're years on the other side. I wonder if they started to let their guard down. Time and time again. I wonder if they had kind of forgotten the purpose of it. Because what's fascinating about this first Passover meal to me is they eat it in commemoration of God passing over their house before God actually passes over their house. They eat the Passover meal before God takes them through the Red Sea, commemorating what God That takes a significant amount of faith. To eat a meal, a celebration, before God has actually come through. And on the hills of this Passover meal, they were supposed to celebrate a feast of unleavened bread. And the purpose of this meal was to clean house, literally, to get all the leaven out of their house. Several years back when I was in Cleveland, um, I had a call from a friend from a couple. They were moving out of their duplex and into a house. And because um, I'm a, I was a youth minister, I also doubled as a moving man. And so they, they had called and said, hey, can you help us move some heavy furniture? Well, you know, I'm young, and I don't, you know, I don't mind showing off a little bit. Doesn't look quite the same as it used to, but um, <laughs> the shape's a little different now. But they had this couch, and they said, we need to move this. And so we kind of scooted it back um, to get it into the path of the doorway. And when we did, it showed there were some crumbs on the floor. And I thought, well, probably no big deal. At the time, and I'll, I'll be honest, I was very judgmental of this. But I only had a newborn baby. We, we had Gracie, and she was really young. And so I was very judgmental that there could be this big of a mess under the couch. 
My mind's changed a little since then. But we picked up the couch, and we found the culprit of the crumbs. What started out once as a piece of bread had now become a furry crouton, a massive furry crouton. And it was growing all kinds of disgusting things. Now, I was very judgmental. Didn't say anything, but I just thought, how could you live in this filth? <laughs> now we've had four kids, I know. <laughs> so we pick up the couch, we move the couch, and we come back, and no one wanted to touch the bread. No one. So we left it for his wife to clean up. <laughs> And we went on to move heavy things. But here's the thing. As we slid the couch back, we started to catch a little glimpse of a problem. The crumbs weren't the problem. They just pointed to a bigger problem. Part of this Passover festival that moved the next day into the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which, by the way, began with the Sabbath and ended with the Sabbath. Not a Saturday, but just a day of rest, which on that first day of this Feast of Unleavened Bread, they're all at work putting Jesus on trial and taking him to a cross. And it's okay to, you need to follow the rules, but if we find them inconvenient, it's okay, we don't have to. But part of this feast was to get all of the leaven out of your house. Get it out of the cabinets, get it off the tables, off the floor, even get the crumbs out of the corner. Get the crumbs out of the corners of your house. And so they would begin as a family, searching everywhere, looking for crumbs. And they would sweep the floors, and they would get it clean, and then they would celebrate this feast of unleavened bread. Because if you're like me, you know, and if you've had kids, or I guess if you were a kid, any of those apply to you, you know that there's always crumbs in the corner. There, there's always places that those crumbs tend to hide that can be really difficult to find. It can be really hard to get out, mostly because they're really difficult to see. They're hard to find. I find it ironic that they're celebrating a Passover and a Feast of Unleavened Bread. Where they should have just swept out and cleaned out their whole house. Crumbs and all of the leaven that represented sin. And yet at the same time, we're willing to put an innocent man. I wonder 
if they miss the significance of the moment they were in. Because there was some stuff happening under the surface. They couldn't see. They didn't notice. They wouldn't do it. I wonder if Judas spent the morning with his family, sweeping the crumbs out of the corner, and yet never looking inside to get those crumbs as well. My guess is. Judas' betrayal did not begin suddenly with, today I think I'm going to betray Jesus. I think much like the sinkhole, there was something happening beneath the surface that no one saw for a really long time. And I wonder if yearly, monthly, daily, he was sweeping the crumbs out of the corner of his life. If he would have found himself in a position where he turned his back on Jesus. I wonder if he was really trying to get the crumbs out of the corner of his life. If things might have turned out differently for him. Because his refusal to do the hard work of sweeping out his life internally is going to cost him eternally. He would pay for it with his life. He wouldn't do the hard work getting beneath the surface, getting into the cracks and the crevices. Finding what was hidden in the corners. Dealing. I wonder if what led to G Judas' betrayal was bigger than what we see. I wonder if it just started as crumbs of greed. Crumbs of power. Prestige. Crumbs of wanting to be known, to be important, to matter. Crumbs of wanting to belong. That started out as crumbs, but over time started to grow fur. Started to harden. Crumbs are just evidence of something that was happening beneath. When was the last time you looked for crumbs in your head? And I don't mean in your house. But I mean inside. When was the last time you started to, to look and see if there were crumbs? It was. 
crumbs of grief, crumbs of power, crumbs that, that might eventually become an addiction, a debt, crumbs of hatred, crumbs of gossip. I wonder, I wonder how different our lives would look if we got really good at cleaning out those crumbs, finding the things that were there that don't belong. Father, we thank you this time. Grateful to gather. Father, we need your help through your spirit to help us see. To find those crumbs in the corners of our lives that eventually lead to something big. Because we know it doesn't just collapse all at once. We know there's something happening below the surface long before that ever happens. Father, help us through your spirit reveal to us those crumbs. We pray in Jesus' name.